This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Our first reading this morning um, comes from two parts of the Old Testament. First, just Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 20, and then uh, Proverbs 19 and the first nine verses. Neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbour. Better the poor walking in integrity than one perverse of speech who is a fool. Desire without knowledge is not good, and one who moves too hurriedly misses the way. One's own folly leads to ruin, and yet the heart rages against the Lord. Wealth brings many friends, but the poor are left friendless. A false witness will not go unpunished, and a liar will not escape. Many seek the favour of the generous, and everyone is a friend to a giver of gifts. If the poor are hated even by their kin, how much more are they shunned by their friends? When they call after them, they are not there. To get wisdom is to love oneself. To keep understanding is to prosper. A false witness will not go unpunished, and the liar will perish. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading this morning comes from Matthew. So I'm reading from Matthew chapter 26 from verses 57 to 68. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, in whose house the scribes and the elders had gathered. But Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and going inside, he sat with the guards in order to see how this would end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But Jesus was silent. Then the high priest said to him, I put you under oath before the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spat in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Messiah, who is it that struck you? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let us pray. Gracious God, your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Today, when we hear your voice, deliver us from hardness of heart 
Help us to put away everything that keeps us from persevering in your way. For the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Telling lies. The truth is, nearly everyone does it. At least a bit. And there are a lot of good reasons to lie. To get out of tricky situations. Or maybe even make relationships just a little bit easier. I mean... We like to be honest, but eventually there's kind of an honesty threshold beyond which the truth can just become a bit unbearable. Do you really want to tell your loved one how they look in those pants? Or your boss what you thought of her presentation? Or the preacher what you thought of the sermon? Or your grandchild of what you thought of that violin rehearsal? Uh, Recital? Even worse. I don't know. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, Paul Thaler wrote an article in 1991 in the New York Times called The Lies That Bind. And he argued that lies are actually what allow intimacy. As intimacy deepens, he argued, the need for lying deepens also. It's because the truth can really hurt. That's why Fleetwood Mac sang, Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. And yet we have a deep sense that there's something wrong with falsehood. We hate it when politicians, another politician is caught in a lie. When people around us lie to us, it hurts us deeply. And when kids lie, we do everything we can to stop it from taking root. And it's because honesty is the bedrock of our relationships and community. Without honesty, our community just doesn't work. So the question is, in light of this commandment, What relationship should we have with truth and falsehood? Truth at all costs or something different? And more importantly, how then do we cultivate that kind of relationship with truth and falsehood? To live with truth and integrity on the one hand, but also live in the real world on the other. Well, let's begin by looking at the picture of false witness in the Eighth Commandment. And if you've got a sermon outline, you'll see it there. And it's even nicely alliterated today. So you, might, you may notice. Thank you. So we're beginning by looking at the picture of false witness in the Eighth Commandment. What exactly is it? Because the issue isn't strictly about lying. So maybe we're off the hook. Maybe we've got some wiggle room. The commandment is in Deuteronomy 5.20, neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbor. The issue here is about not making false accusations, especially in court where honesty and fairness are most important. Other parts of the Old Testament law expand on this kind of thing. Deuteronomy 17 insists that in serious cases, a thorough inquiry be made and conviction not happen unless there were two or more witnesses. Deuteronomy 24 calls for truthful justice, especially when the lives of foreigners and widows and orphans are at stake. And any punishment should only be proportional to the offence. You know, you hear eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We think, oh, that sounds so brutal. But compared to what was going on around the place... That was saying, no, no, the punishment needs to be proportional to the offence instead of putting a slave to death for stealing. Now, all of this should sound actually a bit kind of familiar. Not just familiar, but a bit straightforward. Yes, yes, of course. But that's because it's these values that have been so instilled in our culture and especially in our justice system 
that has been historically built on the commandment and laws like these. And so there's a direct application here for anyone involved in the justice system. Now, if you're a legal professional, you have ethical duties that have risen from this commandment. And we talk about being transformed by grace to save the city. And so this is a perfect, sorry, to serve the city. Christ is the one who saves the city. Don't forget that. We just serve it. Uh, but uh, we've, been tr- we've been called to serve the city. And this is a way that especially the legal professionals among us, uh, what you are doing and what you can continue to do. And so I just, this morning, I just want to urge you and encourage you to keep going in that. Keep abiding by the oaths you've taken. Do everything you can to present things fully and fairly. Don't cut corners or get sucked into ways of doing things that result in prejudice or diminishing trust in the system or destroying people's lives or livelihoods. But this narrow commandment in this legal setting can also be broadened out to this this wider issue of speaking falsely that brings harm to others. When the New Testament writers, Peter and Paul especially, when they wrote, you look at their letters and here and there you get what we call vice lists. And these are lists of ways of living, of vices, that Christians are called to put away, to put to death. And what we see in those lists again and again is gossip and slander, false speaking that harms others, or even a kind of true speaking that might be true that brings people into disrepute. Paul fears that when he's going to visit the Corinthians that he will find in 2 Corinthians 12.20 that he'll find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, conceit and disorder. He tells the Ephesians, put away all kinds of bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. I could multiply the examples. Now, we, we know what this is. That juicy information, that spicy news that you've just got to share. You know, sure, you, you might not be 100% sure that it's tr- completely true, but, uh, or if you've got the full story. But, you know, this one, it's too good to keep to yourself. But this kind of sensational slander has no place among us. I've heard outrageous and unfair gossip among Christians, including here at St. Mark's, and it's shameful. I think too often we dress it up in pious language to make it ecclesiastically acceptable by talking about concern. But even if something is likely to be true, most of the time you just don't need to pass it on. John Calvin made an observation, like made this observation. He said, We delight in a certain poisoned sweetness experienced in ferreting out and disclosing the evils of others. Ferreting out and disclosing the evils in others. So we need to ask when we hear things like this, well, why am I interested in this? And why would I share it? For a good reason? To actually help? Or or will it bring harm? 
And if you have a genuine concern for someone's safety or a, a potential abuse of power, I do urge you to talk to someone. This isn't about just kind of putting the lid on every possible bad behaviour, but make it the right person. Around here, it's people like a warden or one of the ministry staff or the bishop's office, if it's about one of the ministry staff. Gossip and slander don't belong. Now, what I've talked about so far, uh, kind of obviously damaging. You know, when we tell lies about people, uh, it obviously hurts them. But there are lies that are less obviously damaging. You know, are they so bad? You know, those little white lies, the things just to cover up difficult truths. Well, yes, I think they can be. And that brings us to the second point this morning, the problem with falsehood. And the problem with falsehood is that even though it might not directly harm others, it corrupts. Falsehood corrupts, and it corrupts in three ways. And the first is that it corrupts trust. It corrupts trust in our relationships and communities. Remember the Ten Commandments, the the first half are primarily about how we love God, and the second half primarily about how we love other people. It's about building up relationships and communities. But when we deceive just a little bit, it gnaws away at the trust that we need. This is why so often what destroys marriages isn't particular bad behaviour, but the lies and the mistrust that they breed. And it's also why, for example, Bill Clinton's lies about his relationship with Monica Lewinsky, why even though they were perhaps technically true, was so serious. The leader of the free world could no longer be trusted. Falsehood also corrupts truth. Not just trust, it also corrupts truth itself. The truth that God is and the truth that we're made for. And when you go back to Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of the Bible, God, it's remarkable. The way that God creates, how does he do it? He speaks. He speaks everything into existence. He names it truly and he blesses it. And that reveals to us what, what speech is for, for speaking truth that brings life. And we are created in God's image, and so that's what our speech is for. And I think, uh, sorry, you might not think much about your, your words, you might not think much of your words, but I think this is really revealing. When you speak, think My words, my very words, are created for this very purpose, for truth and for bringing blessing and life. And so on the other hand, when you speak falsely, you speak against your very purpose and against the very character of God. You are created for life-giving truth. So falsehood corrupts trust, corrupts truth, and also corrupts ourselves. When we speak in untruthful or deceptive ways, it can quickly become part of who we are. This is when our lies turn us into liars. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can see parts of this already. You know, very few of us actually kind of chronically lie, and maybe even less of us tell really big fat ones very often. But most of us, I think, struggle to speak truthfully and straightforwardly all the time. So why, why is that? Why do we struggle so much to speak truthfully and straightforwardly all the time? Now, and what is it for you? 
For me, I think it's things like when I've made a mistake and I want to cover it up. Even the innocent things, you know, sorry I'm late, the traffic was terrible. And I left 10 minutes late. When you leave and it's like, oh yes, the traffic's bad, I can use that as my excuse. <laughs> what about you? When are you tempted to lie, to bend the truth a little bit? So when you feel insecure and you, f- you want to just massage the truth to make yourself look a little better? Or when you're afraid of the consequences of what the truth might bring? And so you very carefully step around the truth and deceive. Our lies have already corrupted each of us. And so we are bent, we have this bent towards falsehood. And so if we're bent towards falsehood, then how do we find a path away? How do we find a path away from falsehood? Well, the reading that we had earlier, it uh, told us about the trial of Jesus. He was brought before the Sanhedrin and, and questioned. And what did they bring out? They brought false witnesses. These people who spoke false words bent the truth to put him to death. It's shocking, a shocking scene. A little later on, Peter, is, Peter stands up in the streets of Jerusalem and he addresses the people there, the very people who put, to, who put Jesus to death. And he says, this Jesus, whom you crucified, he is the Lord and the Messiah. He's raised from the dead. He's poured out his spirit. He is the Lord and the Messiah. And they realize what they've done. What have our lives done? What will we do? Brothers, tell us what to do. What does Peter say? Your lies have condemned you. No. He says, return to Jesus and he will forgive you. Even these men whose lies put Jesus Christ to death could be forgiven. And so when we, when you and I turn away from our false words and come to Jesus, our gossip, our slander, Our lies, our falsehoods are taken away. They're forgiven. They stick to us. They feel like they stick to us. And he wipes them off. And this gospel transforms us to speak truthfully. I suggested ways before, reasons why we speak uh, falsehood. I talked about it might be insecurity that we feel or when we're afraid of the consequences or when there are things we just want to cover up. But when we trust Jesus, we get a new sense of security and affirmation that reduces, turns down that pressure to lie in the heat of those moments when you just want to twist it. The gospel turns down the pressure to lie because you are his beloved and honoured child. None of our secrets are hidden from him. There's a prayer that sometimes we, we pray here at the beginning of our service and we pray it every week at our 8 o'clock service where we address the God from whom no secrets are hidden. God knows all truth, all the truth about you and all the truth you've covered up. That sounds like I'm about to kind of say that as a threat or something, right? But no, God does not destroy us. He accepts us when we turn to Jesus. And so this is the path out of falsehood. If God can face that truth, that face the truth, then so can you. 
And because he is good, we can afford to bear the consequences of our mistakes and not cover them up. Well, if we're called then to, to live uh, the truth, to live truthfully, how can we live it out? How can we, and this is the final point, how can we persist in the truth? Well, I want to finish with just three things, three ways that we can persist in the truth. And the first is that our default should always be the truth. Paul says this in Ephesians 4.25. He says, Put away falsehood and let us all speak the truth to our neighbours. We are called to speak the truth, even when it's hard, even when it's so uncomfortable. I was speaking to one of our parishioners this week. Uh, he invest, specialises in and investigates uh, corporate corruption. And he was telling me how the corporate world has been reminded and kind of woken up about the value of truth. You know, after high-profile cases like Volkswagen's failing to disclose the true, their true CO2 emissions, uh, more recently, Crown Casino's million-dollar fine for breaking regulations. People are realising that falsehood hurts reputation and hurts the bottom line. And so honesty, integrity are emerging as key values and uh, whistleblower hotlines are being encouraged for people to, uh, to safely report concerns. That's great. Now, as Christians, we have how much more urgency do we have to be interested in the truth. We, remember, we are created for life-giving truth. In your work, you will face, if you haven't already, I'm sure you have, you will face pressure to bend the truth for the sake of the bottom line, for the sake of your own bottom. You'll face the pressure. But don't do it. Tell the truth. And it's the same in our relationships. Again, there's a pressure to bend the truth, but for the sake of trust and truth, we need to speak as truthfully as we can. Now, there's the age-old chestnut. What do you say when your loved one asks you how they look when what they're wearing is less than flattering? Now, it might seem a little bit of an uncouth thing to kind of make much of, but I think it's a, an interesting case study for how we speak to each other in relationships, whether in significant other relationships, but also with our, with our friends, our neighbours. If relationship is built on trust, then I don't think that we can either lie on the one hand or be brutally honest on the other. The question, I'd say, questions like that, I think, very often have deeper questions behind them that are looking for affirmation and acceptance in the face of insecurities. And so if truth-telling, is a, speaking is about tr telling the truth, building trust, building others up, the truest answer might be something like, you look great to me and I love you. Or, how about you try the other pair of pants? <laughs> That's just my two cents. The first one, yes, thanks. Our default should always be the truth. Second, deception should always only be a last resort. You might know the story of two Hebrew midwives uh, about, about 3,000 years ago, Shifra and Pua. The Egyptian pharaoh was intent on ethnically cleansing the Hebrews out of Egypt. And so he, asked the, he commanded the Hebrew midwives... When, the, when women give birth to a, male, to, a, to a girl, let it live. If it's a boy, kill it. The Hebrew midwives 
uh, didn't do it. They didn't do what Pharaoh said. Pharaoh dragged them in for questioning. And they answered. How did they answer? With complete lies. Saying that they never made it in time because the Hebrew women are too strong. They give birth too quickly. And the author affirms them. And not because they lied as such, but because they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. It's, it's like the situation of lying, lying to the Nazis about Jews hiding in the attic. Or a brother lying to a sister's drunken husband about where she is to protect her. Because our world is deeply distorted by sin, sometimes lies can be a last resort a lesser of two evils. But even here, I think we need to be careful. We very easily justify ourselves. And there is a price to be paid for engaging in necessary evils. Lies can corrupt. And anticipating the consequences is notoriously difficult. Finally, our truth-telling should build trust and love. If lies are worst when they seek to harm others, then our truth-telling should seek to build trust and love. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul urges the Ephesians to speak the truth in love. Now, our speech, we think about our speech, sometimes we think we're just saying true or false things. But actually, our speech does things. Our speech can also encourage or tear down. Our speech can seek justice or it can seek revenge. So our aim in speaking truthfully should always be to build up and not to use truth as a weapon. You know, sometimes some of us speak about being brutally honest, pride ourselves on being brutally honest, telling it like it is. But if you're going to speak the truth to someone, stop and ask. This is for all of us. Is what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it actually going to be building a relationship? Is it going to or going to eat away at it? Am I tearing this person down, getting one in, or am I seeking to build them up and encourage them? So instead of priding yourself on telling how it is, why not find words that build up? I heard of one practice uh, that you could try putting into practice is to try and, I th- try and think of a different person each day who you've seen do something, do something good that's worthy of praise. Seek them out. And encourage them for it. If you struggle to affirm people, then maybe this could be a, a good way to start. Now imagine if we were a community dedicated to the truth, and not just brutal truth, but truth that sought to build each other up, to build up and honor each other's reputations by taking every opportunity to speak well of each other. We're created to imitate God, to speak the truth like Him to speak life-giving truth. So let's ask for God's help as we seek to do so. Won't you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you are the truth, that our Lord Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. And so would, by you, would you, by your Spirit, enable us to speak the truth in love to all those around us. Help us to know when the truth is the right thing to say and the right people to say it? And would our words always be seeking to bring life and light to those around us? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.